When you have the right recon process in place, it's easy to stay ahead of the game. Put your recon on cruise control today with iRecon, the solution built directly in Viato that obliterates recon inefficiencies and accelerates your used car sales. Visit viato.com. Welcome to Daily Drive for Friday, December 30th, 2022. I'm Jamie Butters, Executive Editor of Automotive News. And I'm Kellen Walker. Today on the show, the auto industry is going through a transformation on the retail side of things. We're ending the year with this situation where dealers are just a lot more uncertain, more pessimistic about where their profits are going to go. They're facing more pressure to lower their prices. So that presents a pretty interesting picture going into 2023. We'll take a look back at the year auto dealers had in 2022 with Amy Wilson, Director of Retail Coverage at Automotive News. Amy Wilson, welcome back to Daily Drive. Thank you, Jamie. Good to be here. So I feel like we have to start with what's been at least uh, seems like the big story uh, of the last part of the year, which is Carvana. What a brutal year that company has had and and a really uh, challenging and defining year that we're heading into in 2023. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely been a tumultuous year from Carvana. Here is a company that was valued at more than 60 billion in August of 2021. And you know, now it's uh, under 1 billion for its market valuation. Um, it, it's made some big moves this year, but it's also run into a lot of headwinds with the used vehicle market and just with its own priorities, uh, spending a lot of money in May to buy the Odessa US auction unit from CAR. Um, some analysts think that maybe that was uh, not a well-timed move. And they've been reporting some pretty extreme losses each quarter in 2022, either topping a half billion per quarter or approaching a half billion per quarter. It's just been breathtaking to see these kinds of losses. You know, that last year they had the, the one profitable quarter and acknowledged at the time, uh, you know, Ernie Garcia was like, hey, this isn't this isn't our regular pattern. This was sort of a, it was sort of a fluke. But to then turn around and lose, like you said, basic almost half a billion dollars or, or you know, half a billion or more, uh, basically three quarters in a row for a company that size, it is really devastating. And it, it looked like when they bought Odessa, you know, it's like, oh, they were on, you know, they're on the move. They were growing fast. Kind of the only thing holding them back seemed to be the lack of ability to process cars, to get, get cars cleaned up and ready for delivery. And then, boom, it just all fell in on them. Right. I mean, that was the big motivation for that Odessa purchase was to give them all of that uh, reconditioning capacity that they figured they would need with the volume numbers that they were putting up, but they haven't put the volume numbers up this year and um, they don't look like they're um, going to be rebounding on that right away in 2023. I mean, 2023 is really going to be a make or break year for Carvana as to whether they can get back on track. You know this part of the industry better than I do, but it just looks like so many retailers and especially those that are fully in on used, you know, have just been caught in this cycle where prices went up and up to record highs. And then they're bought all this inventory that they bought when prices were at record highs. And then they've just been falling, you know, pretty fast in the last several months. And it seems like everybody 
all the all the dealers are like upside down on their vehicles. Yeah, I mean, it created a big dilemma for for dealers um, and for the online retailers. What do you do with those vehicles that you bought when the wholesale prices were much higher? And the retail used vehicle prices did not go down as fast as the um, wholesale prices, though they have certainly moderated as well. But, you know, it became quite a guessing game as to do you just take the hit on those vehicles in inventory now and get them off your lot and start anew, or or do you try to hold your pricing power? And I think certainly some of them haven't been able to do that. And uh, like you said, this uh, coming year is really uh, make or break for Carvana. We had a, a story this month by C.J. Moore, you know, really quoting a number of analysts saying, you know, they have enough cash. They're not on the brink of bankruptcy. They certainly should remain solvent through the first half of the year, but they've really got to turn around their operations and, and stop losing money. Yeah, they need to make some moves to stop the bleeding or might be pushed into a situation where they would have to look at um, debt restructuring, you know, some perhaps even a bankruptcy reorganization. So, of course, this, we talk about Carvana because they're so big and uh, have been such a compelling story. But like I said, it's been, you know, all the used car specialists have, have suffered in this market and uh, and the new car retail, the franchise dealers as well in their their used car business has been really challenged. I want to turn now to the biggest dealers. Last year, we really spent a lot of time looking at the buy-sell market, which was was super hot in 2021, still pretty hot in 2022, but not as much action at the at the top of the rankings. What, what do we see going on up there? Right, um, exactly. I mean, the, the pace has continued to be extremely brisk, and there's actually more transactions happening but there are fewer mega deals like we saw in 2021 with um, Asbury buying Larry H. Miller. You know, there were a number of mega deals to close the year. Sonic bought RFJ. We really haven't seen those this year. But man, have we seen private dealership group after private dealership group continuing to buy a small platform here, a store here, a couple stores here. And and we've seen some of that from the public groups as well. I mean, certainly you've seen Lithia, uh, which has just you know been relentless in its hunger to get bigger and expand its footprint. And they have continued to, to buy stores um, in 2022, just not in the big chunks that we saw in 2021. Um, but Lithia in fact, has continued its growth to such a degree that it uh, has surpassed AutoNation on the number of new vehicles sold through the first three quarters of the year. And, you know, it seems seems very likely that we'll be able to crown Lithia as the largest new vehicle vehicle retailer in the U.S. for 2022 once all the numbers are in. And uh, that that means it would displace AutoNation from a position that AutoNation has held for decades, really, <laughs> since the, the public dealership groups were, were first rolled up. So what's going on with AutoNation? Is it just stagnating while other groups are, are growing or are they uh, they're looking elsewhere? Well, AutoNation is under new leadership, um, CEO Mike Manley, who took over for longtime CEO Mike Jackson. Um, I mean, he has a number of diversification efforts underway. AutoNation bought SIG Financial earlier this year to give it a foundation to develop its own captive finance unit, which is a it's a big goal of Manley's. 
to uh, increase that part of AutoNation's participation in the business. And um, they just very recently bought RepairSmith, which is a mobile repair and maintenance provider. So it's, um, you know, a sign that AutoNation is sort of putting up its flag to get more involved in um, some of these other facets of the business. It always cracks me up that Mike Manley did not have a captive when he was running Fiat Chrysler, uh, but now he goes to AutoNation and one of the first things he does is is set up a captive. It's it's such a seems like it should be a really good way for them to to make money and uh, help spur sales when they need to. Yeah, I mean, if you get if you get the formula right, a captive is an incredibly powerful um, part of your business and incredibly. Uh, profitable. Um, and, uh, you know, we've seen that over the years uh, with CarMax and CarMax is really the envy of public retailers um, for how its captive finance unit has uh, contributed to its growth and its profitability over many, many years. You mentioned Asbury and some of its uh, big deals like Delary H. Miller one from late in 2021. Are they the third biggest group now in the U.S., or is it is it going to be hard to tell? It's going to be hard to tell. Um, when the numbers come out, we'll we'll know for 2022. But even that doesn't necessarily tell us what we'll what we'll need to know for 2023. Um, the way the numbers are um, are counted, uh, it reflects the dealerships that the group owned on a prorated basis through the year. And one thing that we've seen Asbury do in 2022 is it has divested some collections of stores. It, it sort of early in the year, it went through a process where some stores were divested um, primarily to clear it from some limits on the number of, of stores that it could own per automaker uh, mm. requirements under framework agreements. And, um, then most recently, it sold a batch of stores to Hudson Automotive, and that was it sounded like it was a good opportunity, a good offer that came along. Um, so we'll certainly see much increased sales from the from, you know, the Larry H. Miller acquisition a year ago and as well as other acquisitions that Asbury made in 2021. It'll be there'll be a little bit of counterbalancing from some of the stores that were divested. Will it be enough to to put Asbury in contention with Penske, maybe unlikely, but uh, we'll see when the numbers come out and then we'll see what uh, what they can sustain in 2023. And I mean, the thing about Asbury that's so interesting is that they have big goals. They're not done buying. They haven't done another major deal like that um, this year, but they've said they're ready to be acquisitive again. Coming up, Jamie and Amy talk more about 2022 in automotive retail. That's next on Daily Drive. Warning, your reconditioning process needs attention. Unexpected shortages and delays can throw off even the most routine recon work, slowing your sales and eating into your bottom line. Identify and fix reconditioning inefficiencies to turn your inventory faster with iRecon. This reconditioning solution, built directly in V-Auto, keeps you in control of your service department and puts your recon on cruise control. With real-time alerts and reports, iRecon helps you get ahead of potential issues before they become costly problems. 
You'll be able to track who's doing the work and how long tasks are taking, see the status of any vehicle in an instant, and make adjustments where needed. And it's all done in an easy-to-use dashboard you can customize to fit your workflow. Obliterate inefficiencies and accelerate your used car sales only with iRecon. Run your personal recon diagnostics with us today and put your process on cruise control. Slate Money is a weekly roundup of the most important stories from the world of business and finance. Hosted by Felix Salmon, Elizabeth Spires, and me, Emily Peck. Confused by crypto? Can't keep up with the metaverse? Wondering why the price of just about everything keeps rising? The Slate Money podcast is here for you. Listen to Slate Money every Saturday morning, wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Daily Drive. I'm Jamie Butters with Kellen Walker. We're listening to my conversation with Amy Wilson, Director of Retail Coverage at Automotive News. We're taking a look at the biggest stories and trends for auto dealers in 2022. Here's more of our conversation. Turning to another part of the of the market, the uh, EVs are growing rapidly, still a pretty small part of most dealers' uh, business. We're looking at probably a little more than 5% of new vehicle sales this year, up from less than 3% last year. So uh, significant growth, still not a big significant chunk of the market. Uh, But dealers have had a heck of a time trying to prepare for this transition. Rules keep changing or what the federal government wants to support, what they're encouraging. And of course, the the series of demands from their brands, at least some brands, (laughs) You know, GM and Ford have been, I think, maybe a little more aggressive, probably more legacy of a dealership footprint. Um, But we've just seen, you know, Buick tell their dealers they're going to have to put hundreds of thousands of dollars into their stores if they want to participate in the brand's new EV strategy that for the basically the second half of this decade, you know, Cadillac has already bought out a bunch of dealers to in preparation for their switchover. And Ford has placed some big demands on Ford and Lincoln place demands on their dealers to invest some some pretty serious money in in their facilities. How, how are dealers coping with all this? How are they wrapping their heads around it? Yeah, I think there are a lot of nervous dealers out there about what this transition is going to mean for them. And um, depending on their size and their resources, um, whether they will be able to keep pace, whether they will even be able to um, continue for the long run. I mean, I think in part, you see that as a factor in some of the buy-sell activity that is going on. Um, you know, as these major shifts take place, there are dealers out there weighing whether it makes sense for them to stay in the business for the long haul or to answer the phone call um, of probably the many, many um, potential buyers who might be knocking on their on their door. Um, so, you know, you have that that going on, and then, you know, I think there's just also a a whole lot of nerves around what the future sales model will be for dealers in this in this new world and i mean some of these proposals you alluded to from the automakers particularly the domestic brand automakers i think are really really shaking dealers on this um you know and and there's probably um a good amount of speculation that that some of this is a way for those brands to reduce the size of their dealer network. They probably see that as something that could be a beneficial side effect of all of this. And then certainly 
there have been the efforts uh, by NADA to to try to talk with their members and then to talk with the automakers to sort of come up with some rules of engagement for how this all will unfold. But, you know, even that, how effective will it be? I mean, I think we have to see it play out. Um, there's certainly a lot of resistance to what Ford Ford has been doing. Um, we've reported um, on, an, on several lawsuits and pushback from state dealer associations on, on Ford's plan. So I think, you know, we'll see that continue and um, it'll be a big topic in 2023. Yeah, it was interesting that, you know, about two thirds of Ford's dealers, you know, signed up uh, for the program to continue to sell, to sell EVs into the future. But still a lot of concerns, still a lot of lawsuits going forward and a lot of concerns that, you know, if you are a franchise dealer, you're supposed to sell, be able to sell all the vehicles of that brand. And to then have it sort of be bifurcated and like, well, you're either you're part of Ford or you're part of or you get all of Ford. And um, that's a it's a real fundamental kind of philosophical dispute. Uh, so it'll be be very curious how that plays out. I mean, and dealers have spent 20 plus years lobbying in state houses to make their the dealer franchise laws in in many states in the in the country say just those things that, you know, the, the franchise gives you the right to sell everything that the automaker is distributing or everything that the brand is distributing. So that's where you see these lawsuits and some, you know, some state level challenges um, happening. And um, there's a lot of very strong-willed dealers and dealer association heads out there that are going to stay focused on this. There are also some pledges that this will be become an, an issue in the legislative sessions in various state houses next year with um, pushes from dealers to try to strengthen franchise laws to to be more black and white on this issue. Mm-hmm. So one last thing before I let you go, uh, thinking of uh, other outside forces that are really changing the game for auto dealers is you know the way interest rates have gone up this year. And whether the Fed is going to push the U.S. all the way into a recession or not, they're certainly making it a more expensive for people to buy cars. And as, as you know, as we know, so many consumers are very sensitive to the monthly payment. You start uh, going from you know two three percent interest to five six eight percent, or of course, quite a bit higher for people who are subprime. It's really uh, taken the knees out of uh, used vehicle demand. Used vehicle demand has softened, but you know the used vehicle picture throughout the the course of the year, it was it's been such um, a it's an area that dealers franchise dealers turn to in a huge way with the new vehicle inventory shortages and and you know frankly they've made a lot of money by putting their energy into that side of the business, but but the picture is changing and demand has softened and you know, that you point out the interest rates and the economic concerns. And I mean, it's certainly we've seen seen a bit of a turnaround there. I think dealers entered 2022 very optimistic, coming off the most profitable year in their history and expecting that their sales and their profits would be about as good, maybe nearly as good in 2022. And I and I I mean, they weren't wrong. They, they weren't wrong. <laughs> exactly. That's that's what I was trying to get to. I mean, certainly dealers 
um, had another very profitable year. We don't have uh, direct numbers around it, but Mm -hmm. dealers are still doing very well. But there's a lot of factors they're uncertain about, things that are beyond their control, you know, the interest rate situation, you know, these economic concerns. And you see demand softening, which means their pricing power, which has really been the driver of these incredible profits that they've collected over the last couple of years. Anyway, that change means their pricing power is certainly reduced. And so we're ending the year with this situation where dealers are just a lot more uncertain, more pessimistic about where their profits are going to go. They're facing more pressure to lower their prices. And, you know, obviously they, they've had to start doing that. So that presents a pretty interesting picture going into 2023. Because the, it's the Cox Automotive Dealer Sentiment Index, right? It's like the low, their outlook, the outlook portion of that is, is the gloomiest it's been since they've Ever. done the survey. Since they've done the survey over five, they started it over five years ago. Yeah, it was, uh, you know, their, their expectation of, biz, of what their business will be like three months down the road was... Um, you know, well in negative territory and a huge swing from where it had been in earlier quarters this year. And and yes, those interest rates and other economic concerns, you know, were squarely um, a, a part of that. Well, three months down the road and 12 months down the road, we'll still be counting on you and your team to uh, cover the dealers and the retail world for us at Automotive News. Amy, thanks so much for being here. Thanks, Jamie. It was nice to talk to you. That's Daily Drive for today. I'm Jamie Butters. And I'm Kellen Walker. Thanks to Automotive News coordinating producer Jake Neer for his help on today's podcast. You can get the latest news on auto retail and everything happening in the auto industry at autonews.com. Come back on Monday when we kick off our coverage of CES in Las Vegas. If you enjoy the podcast, remember to like, leave a review, and subscribe so you never miss an episode.